Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, you are listening live to the Red Zone Sports Report. My name is Chip Blake. I am your host. It is Tuesday, October 17th, and as always, we have a busy, busy week in the world of college football, in the week of college football. It was the first time this late in the season since 2007 that there was not a matchup of top 25 teams and uh, I should have listened to uh, my elders who tell me that any time a dynamic like that manifests itself, it means upsets galore. And my, did we see some upsets this weekend. Um, before we get into the upsets and talk a little bit of college football, I want to give everybody a quick update on some baseball in the bottom of the eighth inning. Uh, the Houston Astros have a 4-3 lead over the New York Yankees, although the Yankees do have the bases loaded with one out. It is the beginning. Today is the first day of the NBA season. Um, bad news coming out of uh, bad news coming out of the Cleveland Boston game. Chris Forsberg from ESPN just tweeted that Gordon Hayward is being stretchered off the court in Cleveland after a horrific looking leg injury, leg injury little more than five minutes into his debut. So I uh, certainly hope it's not as bad as it looks for Gordon Hayward, but it very well could be five weeks, excuse me, five minutes into his season in Cleveland. Gordon Hayward's season could be uh, possibly over with uh, what looks like to be a fairly significant um, leg injury uh, in that first game. Also, uh, just breaking about 30 minutes ago, a federal judge in California has granted a temporary restraining order blocking the league's suspension of Ezekiel Elliott. So um, the drama continues surrounding Zeke Elliott. We will talk about that with the Buffalo bad boy Pete Tasca and the savage burn Mr. Steve Butler. We're going to talk about that on the second hour of our show when we talk about NFL. But let's go ahead and get started this week. Kip Kiefer with uh, a crazy week in college football. It seems like I say that at the beginning of every show, but Kip, I really mean it this week. <laughs> Yeah, um, on my Sunday morning show here on WJOX Birmingham, instead of my usual theme, uh, I played Another One Bites the Dust, um, the famous Queen song, uh, because who could have forecast that four top ten teams and the entire state of Washington could go down in yes. one weekend? They certainly did, and, and uh, 
And, and boy, it didn't take long for it to get started. I, I don't know what the closing line was up at the Carrier Dome on Clemson and Syracuse, and uh, but I, you know, I, I figured there might be an opportunity that Clemson, excuse me, that Syracuse plays Clemson a little, a little closer than maybe most people think they might have. But uh, I really didn't think there was any chance that um, that Syracuse could defeat Clemson. I didn't get an opportunity, Kip, to watch that game as uh, high school football uh, takes up majority of my takes up all of my Friday nights actually with my sure. oldest son playing on the varsity football team. So you know, uh, but in today's day and age, you can uh, pull up most games on your uh, smartphone, and that's exactly what a lot of us were doing in the stands. Is uh, our our game was one sided. Thankfully, we were on the right side of that one side, but. Uh, a lot of us kind of watched the end of that game. And, and I tell you, um, Kelly Bryant, who was questionable coming into the game, uh, really should not have played, Kip. It was very obvious no. in, in, in replays that he was nowhere near ready. And I can't help but think that it very well could have contributed you know, contributed to his concussion. He was looking at favoring, you know, his ankle more than he was protecting any area of his body. Of course, we'll never know that. I don't, you know, uh, you know, but it, it, it certainly looked like Clemson, who is is not, they're not lacking for depth at the position of quarterback. They're probably as deep as any school in Division One. I. I think they go at least four deep at the quarterback mm-hmm. position. Could have easily put somebody else in there to start the game. But, Kim, did you have an opportunity to watch the Clemson-Syracuse game on Friday night and uh, give us your thoughts on uh, what this means uh, for college football as we go into, you know, week week eight in the college football season this coming weekend? Yeah, I got on board uh, right at the beginning of the second half and watched the the upset unfold. Syracuse had, I think, a seven-point lead at the half, but – the Clemson offense, uh, which I have said uh, repeatedly, I still consider a little bit of a, of a question mark. Um, excuse me, got my, something stuck in my throat here. But anyway, um, with, without Kelly Bryant running the show, uh, they were kind of lost and a bit shaky, and they mustered some offense, but there was, there was just real no – there really was no um, consistency in their attack, and they were every, – every play you knew they were they – were, uh, on the on the on the ledge of making a mistake, and they made several that cost them. And but I was more surprised with how Syracuse uh, was able to uh, continue to move the ball on the Clemson defense, which had kind of gotten the reputation through the first seven weeks of the season of being basically impregnable. And um, yeah. especially with the game on the line at the end, Syracuse made two first downs to kind of salt it away. And and uh, you know you really don't see, expect to see that. And I, I don't know, something about Clemson, I mean, I remember last year having the same emotion watching their game with North Carolina State. If you remember that game last year on the regular yes. season schedule, uh, NC State had the ball with about five minutes left and methodically basically running the football, drove right down the field and had a chip shot field goal that, of course, the kid missed. Um, and, and they avoided the major upset in overtime. But uh, it's, the, it's the second time. I mean, I, I guess we tend to get too uh, – you know, once we identify some defense as just outstanding, then we're actually surprised when anybody moves it. That's that's kind of the emotion I had as Syracuse put the game away on a third and eight. The quarterback ran and and got the first down, which was uh, pretty remarkable. So, anyway, I, I guess you could kind of see come these Friday night games, Chip. I I I, I, don't, I I tell you, I don't know. I hope they throw a whole bucket bucket load of money at these schools because 
if I've got a good program, I don't want to play on Friday night because it just seems like they're almost haunted. USC losing earlier this year to Washington State. Uh, and then, of course, this Friday night we had the double dip as Washington State got the favor returned to them uh, on the Friday night. Yeah. So they go to Cal Berkeley and just get slaughtered by not a very good Cal team. No, you're exactly right. And, and, and on the Friday night games too, Kip, you know, if you're a good program, you really don't want to play on Friday night. But if you have to play on Friday night, you want it You want it to be one of your road games. You don't want to burn mm-hmm. one of your home games uh, on a Friday night when, you know, your your, your fan base, uh, you, you know, many of them like to make it a weekend. And, uh, I certainly do when sure. I go down to Auburn games. Yeah, we try to get down there on Friday nights. We don't leave until Sunday, you know. it. But uh, it's, uh, you know, just because it's a Friday night game and it's a road game, uh, it, it certainly doesn't mean that it's a sure thing by any means. Washington State uh, uh, showed that to Southern Cal a couple weeks earlier, and as you said, got the got the favor returned to them. But uh, what a crazy week! No top twenty-five teams. I mean, ESPN Game Day was at James Madison Villanova for goodness' sake, um, which was a phenomenal atmosphere, by the way. But nonetheless, number two Clemson goes down. Number five Washington goes down. Number eight Washington State goes down. Number 10, Auburn goes down. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Miami certainly looked like they were going to go down, Kip. They were losing most oh, yeah. of the game to Georgia Tech. They ended up coming back late, and I think that won, they won that game by one point, 25 to 24. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas, what a game. You know, uh, that, that Texas team, uh, you know, uh, Tom Herman has, I think, got that program heading in the right direction. You, you wouldn't know it by the wins and losses, but – They've made great strides from where they were last year, and, and they've been a very, very competitive football team this year. And you can tell they're definitely moving in the right direction with the true freshman quarterback, Sam Ellingham, too, who is, who is um, certainly turning heads and impressing folks all over college football. Let's talk a little bit. we got to talk about it. Uh, Auburn, LSU, um, if you'd have told me on Saturday morning – that LSU was going to squeak out a close game against Auburn, I'd say, well, it surprises me a little bit. I, I really thought Auburn would go into Baton Rouge and finally get the monkey off their back. But when you when you tell me the way they lost the game, mm. um, just devastating for Auburn fans. And, and I, I think very problematic for Gus Malzahn, too. I, I'm not one of these fans, Kip, that, you know, you're, you know you're, you're, your head coach loses a game and, and all of a sudden the fan base, and there is a lot of angst in Auburn fan base, but, you know, it was the way you you lost the game. I mean, one of the biggest criticisms of Gus Malzahn over the last two or three years is that, you know, an offensive genius no more. I mean, you know, seven, eight years ago, you know, he was at the forefront of bringing this type of collegiate offense to the SEC, and now everybody in the country runs a variation of the same offense. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it's something that most folks get to see. Um, you talked about Brent Venables and Clemson's defense and how surprising it was that Syracuse was able to move the ball on him, and certainly that surprised me. But Auburn got out, I believe, to a 20 to nothing lead. Again, one of the reasons we had a 20 to nothing lead and not a 24 or 31 to nothing lead is because um, we a lot of times get stuck in the red zone this year and and, uh, and and don't punch it in as much as we should. That being said, you get up 20 points against Danny Etling and LSU. 
you ought to be able to win that. You ought to be able to win that game. You put 11 guys in the box. You stop Darius Geis. You make Danny Etling beat you, and I'll be darned. That's exactly what happened. And so, uh, you know, um, uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't have a crystal ball to know what's going to happen with um, with Auburn and Gus Malzahn. But uh, you know, how he handled his post game remarks, I thought was very telling, Kip. Uh, uh-huh. You know, uh, how he also ended the game too. He ended the game, and I'm, I'm, this is not an exaggeration, Kip. The last 17 first downs, Kip, were running plays. Mm-hmm. 17 for 17. So you, you, there is no balance in the Auburn offense. One of the reasons Jared Stidham had a bad game against Clemson and had a bad game against LSU is that he threw on throwing downs, and the offense ran on running downs, and we, you know, we – we were as predictable as any any time I've ever seen a Gus Malzahn coach team on Saturday. The last 17 first downs were running plays. No balance, not even mix it up. We didn't throw it three times, maybe four times, maybe two times, maybe one time. The last 17 first downs, uh, we ran the ball. And so, you know, one of the reasons Stidham's numbers weren't that good, Kip, is because every time he had to throw the ball <laughs> – um, you know, LSU would adjust their defense, make sure they, they played nickel or uh, they played cover two, cover three, and there was just nothing there. It didn't help also, Kip, that Kyle Davis, one of our best receivers, didn't make the trip, and we found out that, find out today that Kyle Davis has been kicked off the Auburn team for breaking rules. So mm. just a disastrous weekend for Auburn. Uh, overshadowed a little bit by the Clemson loss at Syracuse, but – the way Auburn lost this game to LSU really, really leaves a bitter, bitter taste in Auburn fans' mouths. And, you know, I'm not ready to call for Gus Malzahn's head like a lot of Auburn Nation is, but when he had an opportunity in his post-game remarks, Kip, to talk about it, he said he had a message for Auburn fans, and that is the world doesn't end tonight, that we still control yeah. our own death. Really, Gus Malzahn? Well, that's interesting. We just blew a 20 to nothing lead against a very mediocre LSU team and a very mediocre at best quarterback in Danny Etling. And now you're telling me we control our own destiny when we end with games against the Georgia Bulldogs and Alabama Crimson Tide, who, by the way, Kip, are undefeated football teams, and they're pretty good? Doesn't look good for Gus now down on the plains. No, you know, a couple observations. First of all, I watched the first quarter and a half of that game, and I was actively tweeting and just, uh, you know, kind of throwing Coach O under the bus, which I still believe he belongs, although it may do more damage to the bus than Coach O. But, um, uh, you know, the, the disparity in the, t- in the talent levels and just the way the teams looked in the first quarter and a half, Auburn looked like they were playing a high school team. They could do whatever they want. on Johnson was getting eight, nine, ten yards of carry. Uh, Stidham had all day to throw. The defense was stuffing LSU's very unimaginative attack. Uh, They're paying their offensive coordinator more than any other OC in the country. And uh, he's had, in my opinion, uh, one or two good halves all year, uh, Matt Canada. But the the point of the matter was that Auburn led 20-0. Like you said, they should have been further ahead. They got – I mean, Daniel Carlson had two chip shot field goals on drives that stalled. Because I don't know, this has been going on for a couple of years. Red zone play calling for Auburn uh, really needs to be revamped and relooked at because and, and they first don't, they're not very imaginative too, down there. Yeah, not at yeah, all. Exactly. So 
yeah. So that's that's my first observation. Uh, you don't you don't let a team. I think LSU got the ball back after the last Auburn field goal with um, I don't know that maybe two minutes left, and they basically just came right down the field in seven or eight plays and scored a touchdown. And you know that you never that's never a good sign. Um, Auburn just seemed like they lost their intensity with the lead. It was almost halftime. The defense didn't play the same way, and then the second half was completely uh, a, a different story. Uh, one one criticism, and my phones were lit up on Sunday. People want to uh, to to really uh, just tear Gus a, a new one. Uh, but my observation was that you know one of the most basic things in football is when a defense takes something away, that means they're going to open up the door to you exploiting something else. You take what the defense gives you. I don't. It doesn't seem to me like watching Auburn over the last couple of years that Gus uh, makes those adjustments. When Carryon Johnson was so good in the first half, LSU moved a safety up into the box and kind of took the run away in the second half. And instead of uh, instead of going to some more like a controlled passing game, some slants, some swing passes, some stuff out in the flat, Auburn still had some. They have some great athletes on the receiving court. It, it was almost like they developed a mentality: we're going to run the ball, like you said, on first and second down, and on third and nine or third and six, we're going to try to throw it down the field for about 15 yards. And it just wasn't working, but they just it, there's a, there's almost like a stubbornness to not uh, yeah. to, to not acclimate to what's going on, and and I I just don't really understand it for the life of me. It reminded me a whole bunch of uh, uh, of the Georgia game, and we've referenced that before last year, where uh, obviously White uh, Sean White was hurt that game and was uh, limited. But uh, Auburn seemed to have no plan B or C. When plan A didn't work, they were just like, well. Yeah, well, let's mail this one in. Can't and, make adjustments. Uh, I, That's I, exactly right. Yeah. And, yeah. And when it, you become it's just so puzzling to me. Yeah. When you become so no, one-dimensional I, and a so big predictable. Opportunity loss for Auburn. No question. Boy, it, it really was. was. I, I want a quick point, Chip. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Kip. I don't understand, and it happened in the Texas A&M Florida game too. One of the best players, LSU has two really skilled wide receivers. One of them named Chark, uh, number seven for LSU. I don't understand in, when a game is going your way and you've got all, everything going on, you design defenses to try to keep the ball out of the hands of the, of the best players on the other team. And yet, whether it's a macho thing or we're just really good at doing this, covering punts, um, it, it amazes me how many games are broken open by the best player on the other team uh, handling, a, handling a punt that's, that's, that's directed right at them uh, you know, when when you've got a really dangerous punt returner back there, and it happened again I, in the Florida game, Florida had the lead in the fourth quarter with five minutes left, punted to Christian Kirk, who you, you, you just go to all kinds of strides to try to keep the ball out of his hands. Why do teams give the best playmaker on the other team a chance to beat them? I don't understand it. Kick the ball out of bounds. Uh, it, it, it's, just, it's just insane to me, and it's one of my biggest pet peeves of football coaches. I guess it's just the macho attitude, and we're not afraid of anybody. We got we got a team that can cover this kick, but gosh, so many games are broken open uh, in that way. Uh, they are, and so many the games key play of the game to swing the momentum. It is, and so many of these games too. Special teams, especially this weekend, are huge for some of these upsets, and 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 how some of these teams that were favored that got upset didn't execute on special teams. Kick, kick. Exactly. Let me change a little bit. Let me change a little bit talk about the Georgia Bulldogs 
you know, I, I can't figure this team out this year. Um, actually, I can't figure them out. I think they're a very good football team. But I don't know how good they are, Kip. You know, I really believe, and I hate to say this, but I, I really believe that this is probably, and I could be, could possibly be wrong. I mean, we'll have to wait to see when the dust settles and, and when uh, bowl season ends. But this could be top to bottom um, as uh, as uh, as weak of a as weak of a year that the SEC has had in quite some time. Uh, Alabama's Alabama. Uh, need I say more? Uh, then you have Georgia and. You know, we don't really know yet what to make of this team, although uh, um, I think we're, you know, I think we're about to see here in the next few weeks. But, you know, uh, is it is it possible, Kip, that uh, Georgia is on the same level as an Alabama when they do end up playing each other? It certainly looks like they're on a, a crash course to play each other in the SEC title game, which could be an epic football game if they both go in undefeated, and it's a possibility they could. How do you how do you evaluate this Georgia team this year? Well, as you recall, after the Notre Dame win, um, I thought that, I, I really thought Notre Dame uh, had made the changes necessary to be a very very good football team this year, and I thought the win at South Bend really was a turning point for the program. And that opinion was not shared by a lot of experts. Um, a lot of people said, out oh, Notre Dame's come on four and eight year, big deal. They shouldn't even be in the worse. But, I mean, that was a game Mark Ricks would not have won uh, because okay. they, uh, the, the, the defense kept its intensity throughout. They made the plays they had to make. They didn't make mistakes. Um, really, the focus was outstanding. That was a quality road win. And Notre Dame, ever since, has been beating everybody solidly, including Michigan State, who turned around last week and beat Michigan. I mean, everything that's happened so far has been like a house of cards uh, falling in Georgia's favor. Um, with that being said, the way they steamrolled Tennessee 41 to nothing, and Tennessee is is an absolute dumpster fire. Let's face it, it's uh, it, it's just it, I, I can't even imagine how ugly this weekend's going to be at Tuscaloosa. But um, you know that win really showed me a lot. They 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 lacked uh, the one crack in the facade, maybe. They lacked a little bit of intensity on Saturday night, I thought, defensively. Um, but the score is a little bit con- uh, it, not really indicative of the game because uh, Fromm made a bad mistake, threw an interception, set Missouri up on the four-yard line for their first touchdown. Then Drew Locke, who's about the first quarterback they've played who can really sling it. Uh, they have a couple fast, big, wide receivers that got behind George's corners, and he hit almost identical play, 63 yards streaks down the sideline. Um, you know, and, and I think it's, that's going to be a learning experience for the young corners. And they got a garbage touchdown at the end. So the defense uh, looked human, but if you watch the game, Missouri had no success whatsoever on the ground. And Georgia's offense was just ridiculous. Um, they've got, in case people haven't been paying close attention, uh, of course, they got Chubb, and Sony Michelle has beefed up from 204 pounds to 224, solid muscle. Uh, this guy is a beast now. I mean, he, he is absolutely yes, he is. flattening people the last two games. He's healthy. He's running yeah. great. And DeAndre Swift may be the freshman find of the year. This kid's barely touched the ball, and every time he does, he had a 75-yard run in the game and another 40-yard run that was called back. So in two carries, he had 114 yards. Uh, yeah, they have five uh, guys that can carry. They have four to amazing. five guys that can carry the rock. That would be the feature back 
at 95% of Division One schools. It is sick how deep yeah. they are in the backfield. You know, to answer the, answer the question about are they on par with Alabama, I don't think not, – not quite yet. They don't have the super depth that Alabama has, but they, that's what Kirby is building. And uh, I, 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 I'm telling you, uh, the, the score of Justin Fields last week was astounding. Um, they've got the, they've already got two of the top quarterbacks in the country, uh, young quarterbacks, yeah. a freshman and a sophomore. Now they got another one coming in next year. I, I yeah. expect Eason will transfer, but um, this team just continues to stockpile talent. They may be a year away from the promised land, but uh, Kirby Smart is building Alabama East, and if anybody doesn't recognize that, they're not paying attention. I think that's exactly right. We talked at the beginning of the show, game day this past weekend was up at uh, James Madison for the riveting James Madison and Villanova game. Um, and I shouldn't downplay it. What a tremendous atmosphere it was. And, oh, yeah, James and, Madison and the great students and, and, uh, and, and the community really embraced having such a spotlight you know, on their uh, on their school. And I think they went on to dominate the game 30 to 10 or 30 to 8 or something mm-hmm. like that. But not this week, Kip. Not this week. Game day is going to be in the Happy Valley uh, for Michigan and Penn State. Michigan squeaked out a win this past week on the road against Indiana in overtime. Typical Michigan game. Very painful to watch. I'd rather get a root canal <laughs> with no Novocaine than to watch four straight hours of Michigan football. But, you know, um, Penn State, I don't know how good Penn State is right now. I mean, a lot of pressure on them with uh, with uh, all the upsets this weekend. I think Penn State in most um, in most polls the second best team in the country, but they haven't beaten anybody. Michigan at five and nope. one, the nineteenth team in the country. Nobody is giving Michigan a chance to go in and win this football game. But candidly, I don't I don't know that Penn State is that good. They have the best run, well, one of the best running backs. I hate to say they have the best running back in the country because two or three of them might be in George's backfield. But Saquon Barkley's a stud, make no doubt about it. Um, he's exciting. He's a playmaker, makes things happen. Um, but, you know, I think there's a good chance Michigan could probably shut him down with his, his – as solid as they are on defense. So what do you expect this weekend when Michigan and Penn State uh, take the field, Kip? Well, I think Jim Harbaugh couldn't ask for a better scenario in terms of, like you said, nobody's given them a chance. Penn State's just the darling of college football now. All of the Eastern media has just fallen all over themselves to uh, praise the Nittany Lions. The only semblance of an actual opponent they've played was Iowa, on the road, and that game came down to a miraculous finish where Penn State hit a touchdown pass. It was seconds left to go, uh, denying Iowa the upset. Um, so they have had one test of a team that's, uh, you know, I think Iowa at least has two losses. But um, the point is they really haven't played anybody, and this is an acid test. And usually in these kind of spots, when the, uh, when the invader has a great defense and has been taken for granted – uh, I don't know if they'll win the game. I think you know, the, the line is nine and a half as of this morning. That's down a couple of points. Uh, Michigan yeah. was, uh, of course, one of the teams being projected for great things this year. Their offense is absolutely painful. Um, my my uh, my radio partner, Terry Quillian, referred to the Big Ten as the fake news conference, which I always got a big <laughs> laugh out of. So we'll we'll find out. I mean, Ohio State's rolled it up over everybody since their terrible loss to Oklahoma, who turned around and lost to Iowa State. So uh, Penn State, for the validity of the conference, 
really needs a, a resounding win uh, on, on against the Wolverines on Saturday night, or the Big Ten's really thrown into chaos. They do, Kip. One other game we need to talk about before uh, before we take a 60-second break. And on the other end of the break, we'll talk a little bit of NFL football. But uh, a game not a whole lot of people are talking about this week yet. Uh, you know, Southern Cal and Notre Dame are going to uh, go yeah. at it this weekend. Notre Dame 5-1 and one on the year. Their only loss uh, to the Georgia Bulldogs. Southern Cal 6-1. and one. They always haven't looked real good doing it. Um, their only loss, as we talked about earlier, was a Friday night game uh, against Washington State. And, you know, Clemson showed us this past Friday night how tough it is to play those games on the road. But, you know, those two teams playing a primetime game this weekend at Notre Dame, how do you handicap Southern Cal and Notre Dame, Kip? Well, I think it's a big edge for the Irish to be at home. Uh, if anybody stayed up late uh, the other night, uh, in addition to watching Washington inexplicably lose at Arizona State. And wasn't that weird? Arizona State, a team that oh, yeah. typically gives up 45 and 50 points, holds Washington to six. That was, yeah. that was insane. Uh, they, yeah. they grind out a 13 to six win. It was all like, you know, who's, who's, who's possessed these guys? Uh, but at the same time, USC was in a, in a dogfight with Utah, down 21 to seven, fought back, took a 28-21 lead. Utah scored with just seconds left and, Coach Whittingham went for the win instead of kicking the extra point and going to overtime. And as frequently happens, they're stuffed at the goal line, and USC escaped with a 28-27 win over the Utes. Every USC game this year has been a high-wire act. I mean, and they've, they've, they've uh, lived to tell the tale five out of the six times. But uh, now they go to Notre Dame, who I believe is a legit uh, team that can – that can flat run the ball, plays physical. Uh, Kelly got back to the kind of football he wanted to play, and uh, it's a big spot. I mean, if USC is as talented as they were, again, I mean, I almost thought we needed to go ahead and mail the national championship trophy to the Coliseum before the season because USC, Sam Darnold, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. The Trojans have all everybody back. They were the best team in the country last year, blah, blah, blah. Of course, Alabama beat the best team in the country 52-3 to last year. But, uh, right. but that was before they really got their act together. Uh, yeah. But this team, this team has been has looked anything but the best team in the country. They have struggled every week against every opponent except for Stanford, perhaps the best team they played. So it, it, it's really – they're kind of an odd outfit, and that, that kind of team may rise to the occasion. Uh, my, my gut tells me Notre Dame, but my, my logic tells me that USC is going to – finally deliver the product that everybody's been waiting to see. So I think this is a fascinating game. I can't wait to see it. I think it's a toss-up. I look forward to seeing it, too. Kip, hang on for us for 60 seconds. We will be back on the other end of the break, and when we do, we're going to welcome the Savage Burn and the Buffalo Bad Boy, and we're going to talk a little NFL football. So you guys stick with us. We'll be back in 60 seconds.
welcome back. You are listening live to the Red Zone Sports Report. My name is Chip Lake. It is Tuesday, October 17th, and uh, appreciate you listening in. We just had a a a very quick 30-minute recap on what was a wild week in college football. And uh, the NFL season, NFL Week 6, proves to be like any other week. A tremendous amount of storylines, some surprise Really, some surprise games on uh, on on how they turned out, and, and as we talked about at the beginning of the show, Kip, we have breaking news uh, in that a federal judge in New York has granted a legal reprieve to Dallas Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott. Um, this is from the Associated Press, updated at 8:45 p.m. So uh, only 17 minutes off of the presses. Uh, a federal judge granted a temporary restraining order blocking the league suspension, clearing Ezekiel Elliott to play Sunday at San Francisco. U.S. District Judge Paul Crowdy's ruling comes five days after a federal appeals court overturned a Texas court's injunction that had kept Ezekiel Elliott off of the field. Uh, Crotty granted the request for a temporary restraining order pending a hearing before the presiding judge, Catherine Polk Falia, who, guys, um, and I'm not kidding, I'm reading this from the uh, Associated Press report, he granted the restraining order before the presiding judge because the presiding judge is on vacation this week. No doubt, no joke. So he ordered the league to appear before Catherine Polk by October 30th to argue why the suspension should not be blocked until courts in New York and Texas can rule on challenges the Players Union brought against the suspension. Uh, The Savage Bird, Steve Butler, um, I I have always said, and I believe you would agree with me, that we have way too many federal judges that can rule on these orders. And it just seems like, you know, you can judge any one federal judge, any one of them, any one of them, can can grant a temporary restraining order and and can can rule on something like this. We've seen it before. We we saw it with the Tom Brady Deflate Gate suspension that you know a federal judge granted an injunction for and it kind of waited in limbo for a year and then you know a year and a half after Tom Brady is is uh, accused of inflating footballs, he finally has to sit for four games. Steve, give us your thoughts on uh, the situation with. Dallas Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott. Well, my first thought is judges take political donations too, and uh, my second thought they do indeed is that the the first injunction was uh, put forward. I believe the first TRO was granted in Texas. Surprise, surprise! But this one coming out of New York um, seems like more of of the function of not having everything together as far as the courts concerned. Uh, and buying really two weeks until they do, and, and I, I really haven't seen too many of the facts around why it was handled this way today, but that's just glossing the media. That sounds like what it, what it was to me. Um, at the end of the day, it's, I mean, every legal analysis of this that I've watched or heard has said that eventually Ezekiel will be sitting down. So he might be delaying the inevitable unless we hear some convincing evidence where, you know, it's brought forward that the NFL doesn't have the opportunity to make this decision. And Tom Brady had to sit his four games too. Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's welcome in the the Buffalo bad boy, Pete Tasca. I mean, Pete, you know, we we ran into a little bit of this, very similar. I mean, different circumstances, um, different infractions. But, you know, um, 
when this happened with Tom Brady, you know, they were in limbo a while. So all of a sudden, he was going to serve a six-game suspension. They were going to be the first six games of the year. Well, he was granted an injunction. So he got to play the first five games of the year. First five, uh, actually, Cowboys had a bye week last week, so uh, four games. And then now all of a sudden, um, he is uh, his in, in, injunction is um, uh, is is lifted. They appeal again, and and now it looks like there there's another temporary order. So, you know, at some point in time, if you're the Cowboys, don't you want to get this over with? So you can uh, you can move on from this episode. I mean, uh, did, did they not learn that from from uh, from what the Patriots did? Pete, your thoughts on um, on Ezekiel Elliott and the situation in Dallas? Well, it's it, it's a shame for for just about everybody involved. I mean, and, and I know one of uh, the brand's favorite whipping boys out there is, is Jerry Jones, of course. I mean, he's a glutton for punishment. He just continues to bring in ball players that that are, are you know. Uh, you know, character um, and character issues. Let's just leave it at that. It's it just happened over and over and over again. Uh, what, what's the precedent? Is it Tom Brady? I don't know. It just seems like there's no rhyme or reason to what the NFL is doing with these these uh, these uh, fines and these um, suspensions and then the appeals and the courts and it just goes on. And, and the casual football fan just could care less. <laughs> at the end of the day, they want to see their their favorite football players out on the field. You know, doing what they're 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 made to do essentially, and uh, and, and scoring points in, in in their fantasy lineups, and and it's just a shame for everybody involved. Just be over, just just be done with the darn thing, and, and let let's be on with some football. Whether it's Alfred Morris, Darren McFadden, or Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield for the Cowboys at this point, let's just move on from this thing because it's it's just getting to a point where you know just so, there's so many things that are taking away from the game on the field nowadays. It just goes on and on and on. I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit about that, but you know, if, if Ezekiel Elliott, if this is if this is warranted by the NFL, and, and it, it seems a bit excessive in my opinion, on um, the six games, uh, but if if it's deemed warranted, then just serve the suspension and let's be on with it. And, and hopefully, you know, for Cowboys fans in a position to uh, to to contend for a playoff spot, and he'll be back for the playoff stretch. And and that's about it as far as I'm concerned. And I agree with you 110. percent I mean, it gets to the point where, you know, uh, it gets to the point where, uh, uh, you know, be done with it already. If we're going to be in limbo, it's a six-game suspension, and we've got our starting running back, you know, who he's going to play, he's not going to play, he's going to play, he's not going to play. Well, it could be, it could be that he plays two weeks, then he gets another injunction, then his suspension is reduced to four games, and he's got to play two weeks, sit for two weeks. Uh, Play another two weeks. Let's get on with it and, and let's go. Kip Kiefer, let's talk a little bit of football. The Green Bay Packers. Um, good news for the Green Bay Packers is they're four and two. The bad news is last week at this time they were four and one and Aaron Rodgers was their starting quarterback. Now they're four and two and Brett Hundley is their starting quarterback. Uh, Aaron Rodgers injured in in the first series of the game on Sunday, broken collarbone. Um, and it does look like he will have to have surgery. In fact, he might have had surgery today. I was out most of the day today and didn't get an opportunity to see. But, uh, you know, Brett Hundley has now had an opportunity to back up and, and be in the system there in Green Bay for a couple years. Uh, he didn't have the greatest numbers coming in for uh, uh, for Aaron Rodgers. He uh, threw for 157 yards, had a touchdown, three interceptions. One of the interceptions wasn't 
his fault. And then he had a, a touchdown pass called back by a holding penalty that was way away from the play. So, you know, if you're the Green Bay Packers right now, Kip, are you going to stick with Brent Hundley or are you going to go out and try to make a trade or look at the free agent market? I thought it was amazingly funny that uh, right after the official word came down that it was a broken collarbone, that Troy Aikman, who was doing the game, declared, well, maybe they need to reach out to Tony Romo and see if they can get him out of the booth. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if Troy was inspired by, uh, by – there's only room for one former Dallas Cowboy quarterback to be starring on network television, or that was That's a legitimate right. uh, thing. And he came back a little later and said, oh, I was really like, kind of joking about that. But, um, but that might be the kind of extreme measure. I, I mean, you look around the league, and, and I mean, I don't, I don't know who you're going to bring in. Hunley, like you said – already knows the system. I do reject the analysts saying uh, the, the Packers are a quality organization. Mike McCarthy's an offensive genius. They'll be fine. Uh, I'm sorry. If anybody in sports is, quote, the franchise, this guy is it, Aaron Rodgers. Um, yeah. I mean, he wills that team to win. If anybody watched the Dallas game two weeks ago, I mean, that, that last drive was just ridiculous. And he can do superhuman things like scramble 18 yards to keep a game alive when he's not really known as a runner. He just makes he just does what's necessary. So you talk about the heart and soul of a team. Um, I, there's no way uh, that that that's not going to be catastrophic, and maybe they can hang on. Uh, but this is his throwing shoulder. By all by all measure, he's probably done for the year. And I'm sorry, no matter how talented or how acclimated Brett Hundley is. They are not going to be the same team, not even close. Couldn't couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. The Savage Burn, Mr. Steve Butler, you missed the first 30 minutes of the show, but a large portion of the first 30 minutes of the show was me venting. I was venting. Why was I venting? (laughs) I was venting because Auburn got out to a 20 to nothing lead on Saturday against a hapless LSU offense led by all pro, all everything, Heisman Trophy quarterback, front runner Danny Elling. Oh, wait a second. Maybe he's not a Heisman Trophy front runner, but he certainly looked like one on Saturday night. I got to tell you, in the second half, Danny Etling looked a lot like Jay Cutler did at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the second <laughs> half of the Falcons-Dolphins game, although what made this even worse for me was At least Auburn got out to a big lead at the end of the first quarter. The Falcons went to the locker room with a 17 to nothing lead, but it wasn't against the New England Patriots. It was a 17 to nothing lead at home to the Jay Cutler-led Miami Dolphins. The Atlanta Falcons come out and they pull a Gus Malzahn in the second half, and they go goose egg, goose egg. And they lose to the Miami Dolphins, twenty to seventeen. The Savage Burns, Steve Butler. What is wrong with the Atlanta Falcons? That is a darn good question. Uh, but I think it's easier to answer the question of what is not wrong with them, and then we'll get to what's wrong with them. What's not wrong with them is running the football, right? I mean, they are absolutely crushing the ball per average. Uh, and running about almost five yards a clip. In fact, in this game against the Dolphins, they were 5.3 a clip. Against the Buffalo when they lost, would we have 168 yards, Pete, against your defense, the number one rushing defense in the NFL? 
So running the football is not our problem. Shockingly enough, it seems to be that throwing the ball is our problem. Um, and yeah. we may have, you know, one of the best receiving cores in the game. We certainly have one of the best quarterbacks uh, to ever play the game and an MVP guy in Matt Ryan. So the begs the question, what is wrong and what's different? Well, the entire town of Atlanta bought into the message of Steve Sarkeesian that we're not changing anything, right? It's going to be the same offense. It's going to be anybody that's watched the Falcons this year. This offense looks nothing like the offense that we saw before. The play calling is not even remotely close. The intermediate passing game is a little bit different, and we're not looking for Julio down the field. Here's a number that's shocking to you. In the last five games, Julio Jones has not caught a ball past 18 yards. 18 yards. He's also not been thrown a touchdown. Not only has he not caught one, he hasn't been thrown in his direction in five games in the end zone. And this, this kind of stuff is really shocking to me. Sarkeesian and Matt Ryan and the rest of the offense and Quinn, did you listen to Dan Quinn's press conference? Uh, he kind of made some edicts, like Julio needs to get the ball more. And he is going to get the ball more. It sounded like he was talking to his offensive coordinator through the press. But sure did. Um, so I, 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 I watched the press conference, and I can tell all is not happy with Sark and Dan Quinn. You could just kind of hear some underlining stuff. And at the end of the day, I don't know what's going on with Matt Ryan and Sark, but those two got to get on the same page because it looks really, really bad. And to have the kind of talent we have, and I know we had a couple of injuries, but they didn't last that long. There's simply no excuse. The NFL is down. They should be abusing these defenses that they're coming against, and they look average at best. No, you're exactly right, and 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 I agree with you on Sark. Something is not clicking there, and they better figure it out fast because Steve, it doesn't get any easier this week. Rumor has it, no, it doesn't. The Falcons the play a road mentioned, game this week. And the last thing I'll mention is that we're second to last in the NFL in second-half scoring. So something is going incredibly right in the first half and choking in the second half. Well, it could be – it's just a guess, Steve, but it could be that perhaps if you called a running play on first down 17 straight <laughs> times – People might think yeah. you're a little predictable. Wait a second. That's not Steve Sarkeesian. That's Gus Malzahn. I'm sorry. I'm digressing. It was back. That was that was the last. That was the last 30 minute show. Because Auburn did run the ball on first down 17 straight times to end the game. 17 straight yep. times. So I tell you, they had them fooled. They thought they were going to fool them. It just didn't. It just didn't work. The Buffalo bad boy Pete Tasca explained to me how the New York Football Giants. Who were 0-5 going into this weekend, lost Odell Beckham, lost Sterling Shepard, lost two other receivers whose names I'm even forgetting now. Uh, How in the world they can go in winless to Sports Authority Field, play a 3-1 Denver Broncos team at home on primetime TV and dominate the Broncos. 23-10 to 10 was the final score. Uh, I watched that entire game. It wasn't even that close. I mean, the Denver Broncos defense made Orleans Darqua look like the MVP <laughs> of the NFL. Kip, excuse me, Pete, how does that happen? Well, I think in, in a word, it's desperation, Chip. I mean, that, that's pretty obvious with the New York Giants being 0-5 going into the game. 
they had to have it. I mean, the, the season was, was teetering on, on the verge of disaster heading into uh, to Sunday night, and, and it obviously needed to – they needed to come out and have a great performance, and they did. And, and it, it speaks to the enigma we all know and love is Eli Manning. I mean, he is just yeah. such an enigma in, in the game of football. The, the highs and the lows, the, there's such wild swings for him. And, and with no weapons, you know, Sands, Evan Ingram, the rookie, who really had a breakout performance, he's flashed, you know, right from the start of the uh, the season this year. But, you know, with all the other mouths to feed, it, it just really wasn't plausible for him to be a focal point. Well, out of necessity, he became a focal point, and he showed what a difference maker he could be at the next level. And it, it's evident that he really is one of those difference-making players that just can't be guarded. Um, and I'm sure he'll be getting a, a, a lot more balls coming his way in, in the coming weeks as well. But you would think, as you said, Chip, I mean, on the road at Denver, I mean, a, a team that's, that's you know known for its defensive prowess, and, and they just pretty much did what they wanted to do all night long. And it really was inexplicable. I mean, the, the, the defense came to play, the New York Giants defense. There's no doubt about that. Some big, big plays. Trevor Simeon has, has officially been exposed. It's started Buffalo Bills game a couple of weeks ago, and, and now it's pretty much official. He, he by no means, you know, was was warranted all the hype that he was getting early in the season as, as being, you know, one of those late-round gems or even an undrafted free agent, whatever he was. I don't even recall. But he, he really just has come back to the mean. He's not that player to the point where I, I guess they brought in uh, Brock Osweiler towards the end of the game. I think it was more out of necessity, you know, based on a, a potential injury. But the reality is Trevor, Trevor Simeon is not the guy in Denver. And, and, you know, from, of course, everything being filtered through the Buffalo Bills, you know, from the bad boy here, of course it helps our cause because the AFC is a muddled mess. And I rarely root for the Giants. But on this night, I was rooting for the Giants, and it was a welcome sight to see the Broncos go down because we'll take losses from every AFC team we could possibly get this year in our effort to break the 17-year drought here in Buffalo and finally get to the playoffs. It could happen. It could happen. I don't know that I've ever recalled, Pete, um, so much parity in the NFL. Um, take, for example, Kip, and this is a game I want you to comment on here. Um, we talked last week about Big Ben and the Pittsburgh Steelers and how they were dominated by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Ben Roethlisberger threw the ball 55 times, and he had five interceptions and no touchdowns. And yet they get on an airplane – they go to play the undefeated Kansas City Chiefs, where everything had gone right for the Chiefs this year. Um, the line was only three and a half. They were only three and a half point underdogs, and I went, "Uh oh, that is a sucker line." Sure enough, uh, <laughs> over eighty percent of the betting public ended up taking that line, and um, <clears throat> at halftime of this game. Not only was it 12 to 3, a very odd score, but the Chiefs had only managed five, excuse me, six yards of total offense at halftime. Came back to make it a close game, 19 to 13. But um, you, you you don't know what to expect any time it, it, with any of these teams, it, it, with the exception of the Browns. I mean, they're always the exception, right? I mean, uh, 0 and 6, and they're worse than everybody thought. But you know, nothing seems to make sense over the length of an NFL season. Kip, give me your thoughts on the Chiefs Steelers this weekend at Arrowhead. Kip, we got Kip with us. 
Am I back? Oh, kid, we got you. I'm sorry. You must have been on mute. Oh, that's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, Give us your thoughts on the uh, on the uh, on the Chiefs Steelers game this past weekend at Arrowhead Stadium. Yeah, if if you watched the Monday night game two weeks ago, the Redskins outplayed the Chiefs in Arrowhead. They should have won the game. Uh, made a couple of stupid mistakes, and the Chiefs made a couple of miraculous plays. That happens in the NFL. So I, I, I so the next week I was all over. I just was sure they were going to go to Houston and have it handed to them by the Texans, and you saw what happened. Merciless and J.J. Watt both go down within the first uh, five minutes of the game, and uh, the Chiefs' offense, all of a sudden Alex Smith looks like the second coming of Brett Favre. He's slinging it all over the yard, uh, six or seven different receivers. They were unstoppable. So it was almost a sure thing they were going to go home and lay an egg. The Steelers uh, really benefited from what uh, is a a tried-and-true thing in, in a lot of sports, particularly football. When you play just a god-awful game at home and are embarrassed, sometimes the very best thing could possibly happen is for you to go on the road because the team becomes more unified than ever, the mission is more defined than ever, the urgency is there. And, uh, you know, if they had to play right back at home against the Chiefs, I think we might have seen a different game because they would have been pressing. Going to Kansas City, uh, kind of free to the shackles of – of, of expectation, uh, they they went out there and played like the Pittsburgh Steelers are supposed to play, and the and the way that we expect to see the Pittsburgh Steelers, Le'Veon Bell was just dominant. The offensive line uh, and the defensive line they absolutely controlled the line of scrimmage, and uh, the Chiefs, you know, were were kind of uh, uh, a, a commodity that was not uh, that that really should not have been the only undefeated team in the in the league. Uh, Andy Reid's done a great job, but personnel wise. I mean, the Chiefs are no better than seven or eight of the other top teams. So, it, I guess it was just the due theory, and the Chiefs were due to lose, and the Steelers had all the all the cards stacked in their favor. And what about the play by Antonio Brown to uh, to seal the game after the Chiefs did make a move? Uh, that was that was just poetry in motion, uh, running full speed down the sideline, covered like a blanket, uh, warded off basically the uh, inside defender with with. With his, with his right hand, caught the ball one-handed with his left while he avoided the safety coming over to help. Uh, just kind of made a one little sidestep and then turned on the Jets, and that guy got nothing but air. I mean, it was just an amazing play to, to behold, and it, it really kind of demonstrated just the, the magnificence of Antonio Brown. So any week with Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, and an inspired defense, the Steelers are always going to be formidable despite falling on their face the week before. Yeah, and Mr. Savage Burns, Steve Butler, there's a reason I asked Kip about the Chiefs-Steelers game, and there's a reason I set it up the way I did uh, with the Steelers and how bad they did the week before, and then they have to go on the road. Ooh, wait a second. That kind of sounds like what the Falcons have to do this week, don't Mm -hmm. they? So the Falcons also go. They also have a road game after laying an egg to the Miami (laughs) Dolphins. And they happen to be going to Foxborough, Massachusetts to play a Sunday night game against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Um, Look, if we can't beat Jay Cutler at home, Steve, give me some sort, give me something to hang my hat on to make me feel (laughs) like I need to stay up and watch this game because – if the Falcons can't beat Jay Cutler at home, how are they going to beat Tom Brady in Foxborough? Well, I think the only shot that we have is if we have the good luck of going against the worst defense in the NFL. And guess what? 
we have the good luck of going against the worst defense yeah. in the NFL. Patriots are at the bottom of the league. They're giving up more rushing and passing yards than anyone. Um, if there's ever a time to get right, you can't control what folks are doing on the other side of the ball. But the Falcons are in the top 12 in the NFL in defense now. So things have kind of changed. It's, it's really role reversal for the Falcons. They went from this offensive team that was 29th in defense to being a defensive team that's now just floundering offensively. So um, I think we have a good shot because of the Patriots' defense. That being said, Tom Brady's your favorite at home. And I'd like to mention that he is playing the best football of his career this year. Anyone that's watched the Patriots play, Brady is throwing to God knows who sometimes or handing the ball off to multiple running backs dumping it down, making calls with the audibles at the line of scrimmage. He's just been flawless in just about everything he's doing. He might have the worst defense he's ever played with, though. Um, I, I'm going to say the Falcons rally. I mean, what else could get a locker room fired up so much that it just wouldn't matter? But if, if Sark comes out there and has the same kind of college effort he's had so far, um, we may not be, be too in too good a position at the end of the game. Couldn't agree with you more, Steve, but I can tell you one thing about this week. I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball to know what's going to happen in Foxborough, but I do feel pretty confident that Julio Jones is going to get a lot of targets. He's going to get a lot yeah. of targets this week, so we'll we'll wait to see how it ends up going. The Buffalo bad boy, Pete Tasker, we missed you last week on the Red Zone Sports Report. We were fortunate two weeks prior after the Bills win at home against the Denver Broncos, and then the Bills win on the road Against the Atlanta Falcons, we were blessed to have Pete Tasca. And then the Bills go to go to Cincinnati and they lay an egg. And Pete's nowhere to be found on the podcast. He's nowhere to be found. But the Bills had a bye week last week, and they now come into uh, this upcoming Sunday. Uh, they got a game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Very likely the Jameis Winston-less Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And wouldn't it be interesting, Pete? Wouldn't it be interesting if the Bills take on the Buccaneers and the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is none other than Fitzy? How do you handicap the game this weekend, Pete? Oh, Chip, I mean, it just it literally brings a, a chuckle to my heart and a smile to my face. I mean, there, there's something endearing about the bearded one, Fitzy. I mean, you know, through through all the thick and thin that, that we endured here with him for the, the three – four years, whatever it was that he was here. And it was, it was an undeniable roller coaster ride. The, the guy makes it interesting. He makes it fun. He just, he just is fearless when he gets out. He's reckless on so many levels. The guy throws some of the worst picks you've ever seen in your entire life at the NFL quarterback position over and over and over again. But if they, if they roll out Ryan Fitzpatrick this week, I mean, he will be met with as many cheers as he will jeers out at the uh, the New Era field. I mean, he's just a, a beloved figure around here in Buffalo, and for many reasons. But that being said, the last time he played in Buffalo was early last season on a Thursday night. It was a nightmare performance by the Buffalo Bills and, and the Rex Ryan-led Buffalo Bills in week two. And since he had the game of his life, and he, he just about peaked out there. So, you know, I'm not expecting him to be there. I, I would expect to see Jameis Winston at least to start this football game. From what I understand, it's all about pain tolerance for him at this point. And, and Jameis yeah. is a gamer. I'm sure he'll be there. Whether he lasts the whole game is another story. But what you're looking at here are two teams that are, are really trying to find 
you know, an identity. And even more so the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, oddly enough, um, uh, even out of my own mouth, a team that was hyped significantly in the preseason and lead up to, to this season as being an upstart, an up-and-comer in the NFC South, and they just haven't lived up to the billing. They've dealt with some injuries, particularly on the defensive side. Uh, but, but this is another team that just hasn't figured it out when it comes to the importance of running the football. And Doug Martin came back against the New England Patriots on Thursday night a couple of weeks ago, and he was running wild in the first half. And for some forsaken reason, they decided to go away from it. Jameis was off from the very beginning of that game. Sure, he racked up some garbage stats towards the end and got him in position to possibly win the game. No question about that. But really, they they went away from Doug Martin. And and from all indications, they didn't have the right balance last week as well. Um, You know, granted, they were having to come back in that football game. But you you would think that they're going to try to run the football, control some clock against the Buffalo Bills. All in all, this game is shaping up to really be another ugly stinker. I'll just put it out there like that. If you if you enjoy pretty football scoring and and you know uh, well executed plays and things of that nature, don't tune into the Buffalo Bills this year. You're not going to get it. You're definitely not going to get it in this game either. And and I got to be honest with you, I, I am going to give the Bills the edge in this in this game simply because they they are at home. They're, they're a, a week rested, coming off the bye, and with Jameis Winston being banged up, the whole Fitzpatrick, you know, subplot to the deal, i got to go with the Buffalo Bills this week in a squeaker. I'm with you. I think squeaker. it's up well for him, Pete. I think it sets up very, very well for him. So it'll be interesting to see if Jameis can get out there and go four quarters, and if he can, if Ryan Fitzpatrick ends up, uh, <laughs> uh, ends up coming back to the Ralph. And um, and, uh, and how long has it been since he's been on the Bills roster, Pete? Oh, it's what what is it? Been? It's been a solid five years or so. I don't know definitively wow. what it is. And uh, it, it's just a, it's so interesting some of the the subplots and the dynamics when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. The burn was actually it's a quick little story, and then I'll I'll let you get back on track. The the burn was in town years ago uh, to see a Redskins Bills game out at the Ralph. We had a great time. Towards the end of the game, I think Steve actually told this story you know once before on the on the red zone here. Towards the end of the game, uh, their, their top quarterback got knocked out the Redskins, and, and who comes trotting out the backup quarterback <laughs> that day? None other than Rob Johnson. And I mean, the, the, it, it took a few seconds for the fans to realize what was transpiring, but once they oh realized who it was, I mean, it was just a thunderous, thunderous boo. And it was just great. But that's what you get in Buffalo. Oh, not to mention, guys, awesome. it started snowing. It started snowing when he hit the field, and people were pelting the field with snowballs. <laughs> oh, it was great. Just oh, man. That's awesome. Guys, real quick, I, I want to I touch on before we get to winners and losers, and so I want to leave 10 to 12 minutes to talk about this subject to get, get everybody's comments on it. But uh, this past weekend, actually it might have been at the end of last week, um, high-powered, high-profile uh, Los Angeles attorney Mark Garagos um, filed a grievance on behalf of his client, Colin Kaepernick, against NFL owners claiming collusion. And it wasn't until today when I had an opportunity to, to scan that grievance and, and to read a little bit a little bit more of that grievance. It looks like the 
straw that broke the camel's back, or at least that's the spin that's being put on it, and I have no doubt that that's not the case. Poor Brandon Wheaton is the is the is the one that that I, I think finally you know uh, spurned the uh, the the grievance, but it was when the the Titans signed uh, Brandon Wheaton two weeks ago. That was evidently the straw that broke the camel's back in Kaepernick's camp to go ahead and file this grievance. Uh, I actually feel a little bit bad for Brandon Wheaton. I think there were far more quarterbacks that were signed that um, um, that were a lot worse than Brandon Wheaton was, and I, I know that's a small list, but let's face it, guys. I mean, Colin Kaepernick is not being signed because these quarterbacks – that are being signed are better than he is. He's not being signed because he's a polarizing figure. He is the face of the national anthem protest movement, and uh, nobody nobody wants to uh, bring the circus roadshow into their team and their market uh, from a free agency perspective. Uh, and I can't blame them. But it uh, but the question then becomes. Is it collusion? Um, you know, will Garagos be able to get anywhere with this? Um, you know, uh, it's obviously not uh, a grievance under the collective bargaining agreement. It's a little bit more than filing a lawsuit, you know, claiming damages. Although there is a mechanism within the CBA to allow damages. Kip, we'll get we'll start with you, and then uh, we'll go to Steve, and then we'll go to uh, we'll go to Pete, and um, and then. Uh, and then we'll uh, we'll take a little bit of a break after we get done talking about Garagos and Grievance and Kaepernick, and we'll come back for winners and losers, and we'll wrap it up for the week. But, Kip, your thoughts on uh, Kaepernick, uh, uh, the grievance he filed this past weekend against the NFL, specifically the owners for colluding against him to get a job in the league uh, after he opted out of his contract last year uh, in San Francisco? Well, it's going to be impossible to prove. Uh, unless they have text messages, they have uh, some kind of uh, audio recording of actual owners talking about this situation and agreeing not to bring him in. That's different than owners having a conversation, well, we're not going to sign him, and we're not going to either. That's, uh, so the collusion angle, uh, even if it exists to some extent, is going to be really difficult to prove. Uh, it's kind of yeah. a uh, – I, I heard one commentator refer to it as kind of a Hail Mary legal move, and that's probably what it is. I think you basically touched on what's going on here. Uh, from a football standpoint, NFL personnel people do not believe that Colin Kaepernick is a difference maker who's going to come in and win games for them. Uh, if he was, then I think you would see um, you know, a team would, would be willing to, to, to plug him into that spot. Uh, but I think the perception is that at best now he's a quality backup and they just don't feel like it's worth having that guy on their roster that, as you mentioned, is a lightning rod of attention and controversy and uh, and, and also would probably be uh, somewhat of a divisive situation in a lot of NFL locker rooms. The situation is already, um, you know, polarized as it is. And, you know, so from that standpoint, is Colin Kaepernick better than uh, probably 25 quarterbacks on NFL rosters now? And that might be a conservative number. I, I would say absolutely. But um, I, I think the decision has been made by a lot of NFL folks. And, and the Titans thing with Brandon Whedon, uh, they, they were just shocked that he was not even invited 
uh, they, they auditioned like four different quarterbacks, and he wasn't even asked to come aboard. So I think that I think you're right. That was the uh, thing I put over the top. But uh, yeah, proving collusion specifically is going to be a real, real tough deal. It's going to be a really tough deal. But Steve, I tell you, if this become if this does become you know, a, uh, and I, I don't know that it will become. It could take many, many different turns, many different angles. I'm sure Garagos has some strategy in mind of something that he wants to do. But um, if if part of this is trying to, you know, look look at the statistics and 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 look at the body of work that all these free agents that have been signed ahead of him, um, then Kaepernick's going to have a good case. Don't know that that proves collusion, though. But if if we're trying to argue on who's a better quarterback, kind of hard to make with a straight face that Brandon Wheaton's a better quarterback. But yeah, you know, exactly. uh, where do you see this going, Steve? Well, I, I don't think we've touched upon it at all. Listen, Kaepernick knows he's never playing in the NFL again. He knows that. Believe me, he does. There's a larger you know, effort for him, and this is not the national flag movement for him. It's a social justice movement, and that's what he calls himself, and I know others want to label this as what they want to label it. Um, but the people that are actually doing it, they have a point, and it's not about football. It's not about a flag. Um, for him, I think it's too – I'm not naive, though. I think he's trying to eventually set up the premise for himself to recoup all this money he's losing while not playing by being shut sure. out by the league. And, and to your point, Kip, it has nothing to do with playing football again. It has everything to do with making a social justice point and making some money at the same time. Because right now he's got to be hurting. Um, he donated a lot of money, a million dollars, to some social causes and stuff like that. He's not getting a paycheck. Um, so it, it is about sustaining yourself and, and living. Um, but at the end of the day, believe me, the, the, the guy is not so foolish to understand. He has the fifth best touchdown to interception ratio in the history of pro football made two NFC championship appearances, and took his team to a Super Bowl. Given all that we've been talking about on, on the uh, Red Zone Sports Report last few weeks about how bad quarterback play is, he could easily be playing. She is no not question. worth to squeeze to yeah. the NFL owners. His talent level is not in question. Uh, it is a uh, 68% of this country is white, I'm going to be candid, and most of those people that pay tickets to those games are white. And they're not having it. It's a bad investment to take Colin Kaepernick on your team. It's a horrible investment at this stage. So he knows he's not going to play. He's setting the stage for himself to recoup some of the money that he's definitely going to take for taking this stand and also to broaden his larger point, which has nothing to do with football, and it has nothing to do with the owners colluding, and it has everything to do with a much larger issue that I won't bore everybody with the, uh, at this time. Yeah, Pete, Steve had mentioned, you know, kind of recouping some of the money that he's going to lose that he's not going to be able to get with football. When I was reading through the grievance, I was fascinated to see that the grievance included um, included the name of President Trump. So, And, and I'm reading from uh, Justin Taravona's article. I believe this is on CBSSports.com. Oh, by Sorry, the way, it is not able C- to sue the president. <laughs> you can bet he'll yeah, well, yeah, the president. No. 
He better stand in line, Steve. He better stand in line. But I'm sorry, it's not CBSSports.com. It's Pro uh, Pro Football Talk Report. That's who Justin Taravona rose for. Said Kaepernick decided to uh, charge the NFL with collusion after the Titans signed Whedon two weeks ago. Kaepernick filed the grievance against the league, arguing that the NFL, at the behest of President Trump, had conspired to keep him out of the league after he became the face of the players' national anthem protest. Um, Pete, your thoughts. Did Donald Trump conspire with the NFL owners to keep Colin Kaepernick out of the league? Well, my gosh. I mean, if if that's the case, I, I, well, well, let's be honest. When it comes to Trump, I mean, they, they just keep lobbing more and more accusations, allegations, yeah. everything under the sun at Donald Trump. I mean, he just, and he just takes it like a champion. I've never seen anything like it. It's quite oh, unbelievable. Never have seen anything but, either. Not, he, he's He's involved in any type of collusion, um, you know, type, you know, initiatives on behalf of the league and against Colin Kaepernick. I mean, Lord only knows if it's the case. I mean, all we do know about Trump definitively is that he poked the Bears a couple of weeks ago. We talked about it on the Red Zone Sports Report. When he came out and he called the owners, called the owners out. You know, and we're talking about multi-billionaires out there. Or just some of the leaders, you know, all across this nation. He called them out and said they should fire their employees for not honoring the flag and the national anthem. So if he was involved, it's quite interesting how he went right the other way. I don't know. Who knows? The fact of the matter is, Colin Kaepernick, as as the bird said, he's all done in the NFL. It's not going to happen. I don't think he's going to be hurting for money anytime soon unless he's severely mismanaged his $100 million contract that he signed with the San Francisco 49ers a couple of years back. But beyond that, maybe the CFL, the Canadians are very liberal. They'll, they'll take just about anybody that the NFL casts off that's got a name and some sort of reputation and talent. Uh, but, you know, he, at the very least, you know, what you do have to tip your hat to Colin Kaepernick, whether you agree with, you know, his, his um, approach and, and what he started here or not, the fact of the matter is, it, it has, in my opinion, it has taken hold and it has taken effect in a very positive way uh, all across the league. And I won't get into the details, but there was a significant event that happened here in Buffalo with Buffalo Bills players. There was a series of community events that many of the players attended today all across the, the, uh, the community of Buffalo, New York here. Um, it's part of this new initiative that's taking, that's taking root and has now taken hold with true practical steps within the communities that need it the most and, and let's be as, as Steve said, let's be candid, it's the it's urban America. It's black America more than anything else. There's no question about that. And they're reaching out, they're doing good work and it's only going to continue to escalate, I believe, in a positive way. So with all that being said, Kaepernick actually started this fire it's kind of gotten a little bit wildfire-ish, no doubt about that. And who knows where it's going to go, but there are some positive impacts that are happening. And, and good for the good for the communities all around the, uh, the country as a result. And good for well, Buffalo. Pete, Did Pete, not know Pete, that. And, that Pete, and the players and the NFLPA Pete. and ownership and, uh, and uh, the commissioner met today, had a meeting today in New York, and we're just getting details right. of that meeting. Looks like all sides uh, – Say the meeting went well. It was a good dialogue. It was a good start of a discussion. They're going to meet four weeks from now. And, guys, I'm not certain that Colin Kaepernick's football career is over with. His football career might be over with in the NFL, but there's always a place for people. There's always – it's like the island of misfit toys. If you want to place either on the coaching staff, 
or on a team, there is a school in the sunshine state of Florida. Florida Atlantic has a place for Colin Kaepernick, <laughs> has a place for everybody. Lane Kiffin is making that his own rehab. Maybe Colin Kaepernick go down can be a coach for Lane Kiffin. But wouldn't that be some? Wouldn't that be quite a circus down there? I think Auburn's had three people been kicked off the team, and two days later they're all at uh, Florida Atlantic, and that's just Auburn. There's no telling how many other uh, how many other um, um, uh, rehabilitating players that uh, Lane Kiffin has kept on there. Guys, good, good, dis- great discussion. It'll be interesting to see where this uh, where this um, where this collusion goes. It'll be interesting to see if Garagos is successful at deposing some of the owners and maybe some of the management and maybe even the commissioner or some of the brass in the NFL. So we'll wait to see that and we'll talk about it as it develops. Guys, stick with us. We're going to take a 60, excuse me, we're going to take a 30 second break. And when we do and when we come back, we are going to talk about the winners and losers in the world of sports. Kip Kiefer, we're going to start with you and then we're going to go to the Savage Burn, Steve Butler and Pete Tasca is going to give us his winners and losers in the world of sports for the week. And then I'll wrap it up, and we'll see you next week on the Red Zone Sports Report. But stick with us. We're going to take a 30-second break. Live to the Red Zone Sports Report. My name is Chip Lake, and it is uh, Tuesday, October 17th, and we have reached our final segment on tonight's podcast, our winners and losers segment for the world of sports for the week. And we are going to start with our college football guru live from Birmingham, Alabama, Mr. Kip Kiefer. Kip, go ahead, get us started with your winners and losers for the week in sports. probably won't recognize uh my winner is the las vegas golden knights now this is not a a bunch of this this is not a bunch of jousters in armor that uh that are featured at one of the casinos this is the national hockey league expansion team that just started the brand new season last tuesday night their first home game ever in las vegas they uh they they made a decision to change from the traditional kind of opening night ceremonies to a uh, half an hour almost length uh, honor of the first responders and the heroic people that uh, that uh, had responded just a week before three blocks from the new arena where the shooting took place and uh, 19,000 people standing room only crowd both my sons were there described the ceremony as absolutely moving my youngest son, who is not very uh, emotionally uh, wound very tight, even said it was the greatest thing he'd ever seen. And uh, so he said the, the emotion and the feeling in that building was unbelievable. They brought out, uh, they introduced firemen and policemen and, and uh, hospital folks and doctors. 
and uh, and and uh, uh, the uh, the paramedic people that, uh, that that handled so much of the problems and uh, and some other heroic individuals. But with all that said, after all that ceremony, the new Las Vegas Golden Knights guys from Russia, Czechoslovakia, all over Europe, Canada, the United States, brand new to the city came out and in the first nine minutes and 40 seconds of that game scored four times. And the place was just up for grabs. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Since then, they went on to a five to two win. Since then, the Golden Knights are off to a four and one start as an expansion team. They are three, they're already three and one at home. Uh, just an amazing story of what's going on there in Las Vegas and, uh, my winners for the my, for the week, uh, just to once again show the power of pro sports. That's the first ever major league sports franchise in the history of Las Vegas. We know the Raiders are on their way, but uh, my winner definitely the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And my loser, well, I'm real close to home on my loser, and this will be quick. My loser is yours truly, Kip Kiefer. I'm watching oh. last night Monday Night Football. And uh, my fantasy team, off to a good start in my primary league, had a 24-point lead going into the final night, and only one player in the game was on the opposition roster. And uh, the long and short of the story was, with one play to go, no timeouts left for the Colts, ball on the 28-yard line, Derek Derek Henry takes off on a 72-yard dash to the end zone, in garbage yeah. time where all he's supposed to do is fall down and end the game. They couldn't even take it a knee. He goes 72 yards. He scores 14 points on that jaunt because in our league, there's even a bonus for going over a certain yardage threshold. And I lose by <laughs> one half a point as a result of that, uh, of that run. Last week, Derek oh, Henry carried wow. eight times. This game, he carried 24 times for close to 200 yards. So the loser of the week, there's only one guy on earth. You might think your Matt Ryan stories are, are tragic. This was the worst beat of my fantasy football career. It, Kip, that was a powerful winners and losers segment for you. It really was. <laughs> and I, I have to be honest with you, and I don't say this to make you feel bad, but I stayed up watching the same game because I had a seven-point lead and I didn't have anybody going. And the only person that was playing, the only player left on the team I was playing against, DeMarco Murray. And oh. so as I'm sitting here half going to sleep, and I'm waiting for them to take a knee, and I see a running back streaking down the field about to score a <laughs> touchdown, I have a heart attack because I think it's DeMarco Murray. And then I see number deuce deuce, and I'm like, Woo, that's Derrick Henry. <laughs> so, uh, I remember it vividly. I remember it vividly. I logged some on days chicken, some I logged days on feathers. I and saw that yep, it was a half a point too many. So uh, unbelievable. You can't make this stuff up. No, you can't. Steve, I hate to have to have you go on the winners and losers segment after that. But give us your <laughs> winners and losers in the world of sports. Well, I'm on cherry pick and go with some pretty obvious ones. My loser of the week is the Dallas Cowboys and Ezekiel Elliott. What is two weeks going to buy you and get you closer to the playoffs with this mess, uh, your team chemistry and all those other things to the point that everybody else made earlier? Just take your medicine and get on with it. And my winners of the week and all this talk of Kaepernick and other things, we've kind of lost it 48 years ago today. 
Uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos made their protest uh, for human rights, mm-hmm. and they did do it during the national anthem. Right. And uh, even though the national anthem was not their particular subject, their subject was economics and educational um, opportunities for blacks. And of course, this was 1976, only four years after uh, desegregation of schools here in Georgia anyway. So um, a lot of people have forgotten that in this conversation, but today is the anniversary of when they actually lifted their hands for human rights. There you go. Very good, Stevie B. Very good. How many years ago today? 48, 48. years ago today. 1968. I've almost been alive that long. Not quite, but I've almost been alive that long. I'd like to add that we're still having the same conversation. (laughs) Indeed. 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 Indeed we are. Indeed we are. Uh, The Buffalo bad boy, Mr. Pete Tasca. Give us your winners and your losers for the week in sports. Well, gentlemen, my winner of the week is Adrian Alday Peterson, AP. Getting traded, completely miscast in New Orleans. Never made sense from the very beginning. First quarter of the year, absolutely nothing. They finally make the move and, and dump him off to the Arizona Cardinals, desperate for a running game. And he comes out and he goes for almost a buck forty and two touchdowns and a big victory over the Bucks. You, you gotta love AP. The guy, you knew he had something left in the tank, and he showed it, and it was great to see. I've been a fan for years, and uh, I'm really happy for him. Happy for the Cardinals, and certainly happy for uh, Bruce Arians. Always been one of my favorite coaches in the NFL the last couple of years here, and uh, it was great to see. Loser of the week has got to be NFL Senior Vice President of Officiating, Al Riveron, for overturning the touchdown at the Meadowlands when Austin Safarian Jenkins caught the ball, bobbled it for a second, went into the end zone, and hit the ground with control after crossing the goal line for, to my mind, and, and thousands, maybe millions of others, an obvious touchdown. It was called a touchdown on the field. He must have looked at this clip how many times? Ten times? And he overturns it. And not only overturns it, calls it no catch, calls it a touchback, and gives the ball back to New England. I mean, are you kidding me? So I don't know if it's it's, uh, my loser of the week is the NFL, the officiating overall, the, the, the dynamic that has taken hold when it comes to what is a catch and what isn't a catch in the NFL. But for this week, it's Al Riveron for overturning that call. Completely disagree with it. I thought it was horrendous. And he gets mine this week for sure. Pete, it's a great loser for the week. I, I, I mean, I wasn't watching that game live, but you know, uh, 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 we've we've all seen the replay. We saw it a lot yesterday. We saw it today. You know, we're we're used to uh, NFL officials, or at least I'm used to NFL officials, uh, only overruling the call on the field if it is completely clear and convincing evidence. Not only was that not clear and convincing evidence as you said it it was debatable that what happened is what happened number one that he lost the ball and number number two that he lost it past the pylon big loser big loser but pete i gotta i I gotta uh, i gotta uh, i gotta accuse you of theft my winner of the week adrian peterson and i'm not prepared for another winner of the week but what a fitting winner of the week i mean the guy 26 carries 134 yards, gets in the end zone twice, 
can't believe that he was stolen by Mr. Uh, uh, by the Buffalo Bad Boy, Mr. Pete Tasca. But great minds great think, minds alike, think Pete. alike, Jeff. Could not agree with you more. Big, big statement game from Adrian Peterson. So certainly well done by Adrian Peterson. Look, it, is it likely that he replicates that and becomes a two touchdown, thirty, you know, thirty-two carry, hundred twenty, you know, uh, yard a game back? Probably not. But it was certainly a statement game. And make no mistake about it, um, that was a statement game heading in Sean Payton's direction. Um, and I think the message was very clear. My loser of the week, former Arkansas Razorback basketball player Bobby Portis, now at the Chicago Bulls. Today at Bulls practice, Bobby Portis punches his teammate, Nikola Miracic, and breaks his breaks a multitude of bones in his face. Details are still coming out about exactly how bad the injury is. They had to get an ambulance to take Miricic to the hospital, and early indications are that Miricic is going to be out an extended period of time, and he is possibly going to be facing surgery. So my loser of the week is Chicago Bulls' Bobby Portis, Guys, that's what you call not being a very good teammate. So Bobby Porter <laughs> is the one. Uh, guys, great show. It flew by as it always does. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, as always. We are going to be back next week, same time, same place, uh, the 24th of October, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to be here for an hour and a half. We're going to be talking about all the games this weekend on the college football slate, and uh, I'm sure it'll be as exciting of an NFL slate as it was this week. A lot of close games, a lot of parity in the NFL. So thanks, Kip. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next week on the Red Zone Sports Report. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.